Thank you for listening to this podcast. The Village Church provides all its resources for free. If you have been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving financially. For more information on how to give and other resources, please visit www.theville.church. Good morning, Ville Church. It's good to be with you again and get a chance to share what God's laid on my heart this morning. Uh, yeah, so I uh, just celebrated another birthday this past week and just, uh, yeah, just very uh, thankful for the years God's given me and for the years I've had to serve with uh, you uh, and serve you at the church here. This morning I want us to think about uh, what do we need and what do we want? You know, there, there, there are things in our lives that we know we need, but it doesn't necessarily mean that we want them. For example, we know we need to eat more vegetables and less uh, meats and sweets or red meats and, and sweets. We know vegetables are rich in vitamins and minerals, so it gives better nutrition. Uh, they can help in weight loss. They reduce cholesterol, improve skin condition. Uh, it says it lessens chronic diseases like uh, cancer, and many times it can be more cost-effective. If you want to get protein from a pound of beans, it'll pay a lot less than protein from a pound of meat. And we know that. And those things we know, and, and it's, it's good for us. Uh, but it doesn't mean we want to eat more vegetables. Joseph, my middle son, when Connie used to fix uh, several vegetables at a meal, he would say, Mother, you're going to give us a heart attack of vegetables. And just to think that we, we, we want what we want instead of what we need. Another example would be sleep more and overwork less. We need to take care of ourselves and rest when we can and, and work less many times. Uh, sleep, we know, improves memory, leads to longer life, curbs inflammation, spurs creativity, increases athletic performance, improves academic performance, sharpens attention, helps in weight loss, Lower stress, improves driving, and improves emotional stability. All these are benefits of rest and sleep when we need to sleep. On the other hand, overwork leads to poor blood circulation, increased weight, heart problems, higher cholesterol levels, lack of energy, poor sleep, bad concentration, nervous conditions, and, and the, even to depression, just to name a few of the effects of overwork. But... How do we live our lives? We focus on what we can accomplish, what can we can produce, and it causes us to overwork many times and get less sleep and less rest. We know we need to exercise more uh, in our lives, but do we? I was just talking to a, a friend of mine today who said he has an exercise machine that's become a piece of furniture. And how many of us can say that in our lives? Exercise control helps us control weight, and it controls health conditions, improves moods, boosts energy, and promotes better sleep. Now, these are all benefits of exercise, but do we want to exercise? I try to exercise on a regular basis, but I told Connie often if I could get the same results by doing something else, I probably would. Exercise, I know I need it, but do I want to do it? And that, today's culture is changing. Many people are more inclined to exercise, eat better, eat more vegetables, but many of us don't want that. Uh, for those of you in school, you know, you need to study more and play video games less. Uh, well, there's obvious, obvious results of academic study. If you apply yourself to academic study, it'll reduce poverty in, in people's lives. It's, it provides a healthier lifestyle and divide, it can provide you a diversity of relationships. 
as you study together. It, it increases socializing and networking uh, skills. It, uh, you can understand and pursue the passions in your life, and it can lead to better employment for you. And then we know we also need to spend less and save more. We are a spend-happy country many times in the economy. That, the spending uh, more and saving less um, maybe can explain why uh, the average U.S. household carries a balance of $7,000 on their credit cards, on a, a revolving balance of $7,000. And can also explain why 50% of Americans have less than $5,000 in savings to uh, meet unexpected expenses. And a third of us in the U.S. even have a less than $1,000 in savings. We know we need to spend less and save more, but what do we do? We often spend more and save less. A couple more things to think about. We know reading is something that's important. We need to read more and watch screens less. We need to be active readers, but do we want to do that? Some do, for sure. Some have a real passion for reading, but most of us would rather watch a movie than read a book. Reading improves brain connectivity. It increases your vocabulary and comprehension. It empowers you to empathize with other people. Aids in sleep readiness. Helps you to sleep well at night. It reduces stress. Lowers blood pressure and heart rate. Fights depression symptoms. And prevents cognitive, cognitive decline as you age. It can improve <coughs> your mind's activity as you age. And as me, as I'm aging, this is important to me. And I know I need this, but what do I want in this situation? On the other hand, screens negatively affect vision, sleep, and overall health. With an increase in weight gain, heart disease, even type 2 diabetes, and some cancers in adults. And in young people and children, it can affect social skills, emotions, and personalities. In lower language skills and emotional development. And these are all effects of, of screens, too much screens, instead of taking time to read. But many times we choose the screens over reading because it's what we want instead of what we need. And then we know we need to listen more and talk less in our lives. Even the scripture tells us this. In James 1.19 it says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Another verse in Proverbs 17, 28, it says, Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise when he closes his lip is considered wise when he closes his lips. He is deemed intelligent. And Abraham Lincoln former President of the United States, was once quoted as saying, it's better to remain silent and be thought a fool than to speak and remove all doubt. We know we need to be better listeners. It's a part of what we, we take courses and how to listen better. But often we want to speak more than we want to listen. And spiritually, we know we need Jesus. And we need to know him in our lives. But the question is, do we want to know him? Do we want him and do we want to know him? In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, it says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. 
Another version of the same verse, it says, His, His divine power, Christ's divine power, has given us everything we need for, godly, for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. So Christ is all we need. Knowing Him is all we need for a life of godliness. But the question is, do we want to know Him? Do we pursue that? Is it a, a violent striving of ours to know Him in our lives? It's, it's so important we want to know Him. Or do we choose not to pursue Him? All we need is found in Him and in the knowledge of Him. The question is, as I said, is do we want to know Him? And what does this knowledge of God look like? It's not a ca casual knowledge as a knowledge of someone or something. Like I say, oh yeah, I know so-and-so. I know about them. I know a few facts about them, but I don't really know them. It is an intimate knowledge where everything about me is laid bare and I recognize my utter dependence on Him for everything in my life. Do I really want to know God in this way? You know, in the biblical times, and well, in the King James Version, one of the first Bibles that I studied, the, the term know is translated in English from the Hebrew when it says in the Old Testament, uh, so-and-so knew their wife, and she bare, conceived and bared more sin. It's an intimate intimacy with the person. It's, that's how they explained how they would have sexual relations and result in children. They knew him. They knew. So it's a, a complete knowledge of the other person. It's a knowing. Uh, in Psalm 42, 1 through 2, it says, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Is that true of us? Do Am I like a deer that's panting for flowing streams? You know, animals know that flowing water is, is better for them than, than still water. So they'll, they'll look and they'll pant for flowing streams. They know that's life-giving for them. So it's like as he looks and pants, he, he knows without this he will die. And do we see our, our relationship with God there? So my soul pants for you, God. Without God, I will die. I need God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Can I say that? As I thirst, uh, if you've ever been dehydrated and thirsty, deep thirst, just that first drink of water is so precious. Is that how we see God? We thirst for God. In Psalm 63, 1 to 4, it says, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. Again, that thought of thirsting for you. My, fl my flesh faints for you. Um, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the, in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. So will I bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. The psalmist is saying, as the, as the, as the first psalm, my soul thirsts for you. My, soul, my flesh faints for you. I have no life without you. I, you are what gives me life. In a dry and weary land where there is no water. I lived in Africa for a number of years, and, and one year I was there, there was no, no rain for a whole year. And it was drought. It was incredible, the devastation it brought. I mean, uh, no people had no food because there were no crops that grown. Animals that they depended on for their livelihood were dying. You'd see carcasses all over the road. It was it was devastating. How, how our water is so important for life. Uh, and even another time in, in, in Africa, 
we had a time when there was rationing of both electricity and water. There was a problem with electrical grid, and so they would, they would cut off electricity for several hours a day. For, we did this for several months, and that was hard to adjust to that. But then there was a time when water became scarce, and, and we would go for weeks without water flowing into our home. And we had the advantage, we had storage tanks, we could store water, but even that got low. But people were desperate to get water. And I realized living without water, without electricity, I can live without electricity. I can adjust to that. I can learn to live without electricity. But I can't live without water. And we all know that water is the source of life for us. We, we have to have water. And so it's like we, we see God that way. We, we thirst for him. We faint for him. Like a dry, weary land. And in the year that there was the famine, it was amazing when the rains did come the next year. The land became alive. Plants bloomed that I hadn't seen for a year. It was like it was beautiful, the most majestic. And animals came out and you know, things just, it was life, it was life-giving again. It was so amazing that water is so precious. And then it says, your steadfast love is better than life. Do I believe that? Do I desire to understand and to experience his steadfast love more than I desire life? So as we think about these two psalms, can I say, is that true of me? Do I long to know God? Maybe my longing for God is like a, a man named Wilbur Reese. He wrote in a book he wrote called uh, $3 Worth of God. He says, I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep, but just enough to equal a cup of warm milk or a snooze in the sunshine. I don't want enough of God to make me love a, a black man or pick beads with a migrant. I want ecstasy, not transformation. I want the warmth of the womb, not a new birth. I want a pound of the eternal in a paper sack. I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. Maybe that's how we view our relationship with God. Just enough to make us feel good, but not enough to change our lives. But the Apostle Paul shows us what it's like to really want to know God, to know Christ. In Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 11, we read, Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Paul is writing about himself. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which depends through faith in Christ, which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in death, that by any means possible I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Paul is saying, you know, I've, I've, I can count everything as loss. Anything I've gained in my life, I count as loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. And this is how I want to know him. I want to know the power of his resurrection and share in his sufferings. I want to know him that deeply, intimately, affectionately. And he says, whatever was gained for me, I count it as loss for knowing. He says, in order that I may gain uh, Christ. Uh, so he says, uh, but in, and Paul gained much 
in his life at that time. And maybe you have as well. You think, I've done a lot of good things. I've, you know, I've, I've gotten this position, this degree, this studies. I've, I've, I've progressed in my life to this point. Or, you know, I'm a pretty good person. Uh, you know, I, I'd lived a, a pretty good life before I came to Christ. Uh, I didn't do so things as other people did. Uh, so I have a lot of good things in my life. But Paul is saying, whatever gain he had in his life, it was meant nothing to him. It's, it's like rubbish. Because Paul knew the law. He was a studier, an observer of the law. Uh, he had an understanding of God, even though it wasn't correct. He knew God by the law that, uh, of the Jews. His strict observance of the law had kept him uh, from some destructive things in his life. He had lived by the, the commandments, and so he had a pretty, we can say he had a, a healthy lifestyle, some healthy life patterns. These were all gained for him. And he was a respected member of the Jewish community. These were gains. He, he could have lived out his life this way. But he said, it's all, all these gains that I might have gained through my life. You know, I, 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 I count them as, as, as nothing, you know. I, can't, I suffer all, loss of all these things. And it was a great advantage to be a Jew in Paul's life. In Romans 2, 1 and 2, Paul is talking, he says, then what advantage has the Jew? What is the value of circumcision? Much in every way, he said, to begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. God chose to speak and bring his law and his word and his truth through the Jewish people. So they were a people that were highly, we can say highly honored and, and highly favored in many ways. Not because of what they did, because of God's choice to work through them. So that God gave us his law through, uh, through the Jewish people. So it was a, a gain to be a Jew. He said, you know, even though I've gained much, I count it loss. It means nothing to me that I may know Christ. And although gained, Paul had gained much from his life and upbringing uh, as a Jew, he was willing to give everything up to know God. All he gained, all that he had gained, he saw, was rubbish. It was like garbage compared to knowing Christ. Do we see ourselves that way? The gains we've made in our life, are we willing to say they mean nothing that we may know Christ. Paul's heart was set on knowing Christ and the power of his resurrection and to share in his sufferings. To know the power of his resurrection means we need to experience death. There is no resurrection without death. I need to die to myself that Christ might live through me. In Romans in Galatians 2.20, uh, it, it reads, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God <clears throat> who loved me and gave himself for me. I need to count myself as crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but it's Christ living through me. You know, and, and death is preceded by suffering. Christ suffered in his death. We will suffer as we die to ourselves. But in the U.S., we, we really avoid suffering, I believe. In our culture in the U.S., it's, it's seen as having little value. Why should we suffer when we can have all these comforts and all the things that we have? Suffering is not seen as of value to us. And we even avoid many times joining others in their suffering. It makes us uncomfortable, and we don't like that. By doing this, we see no time, many times we see no need of the resurrection or its power. By not participating in Christ's sufferings, 
we believe we can handle whatever we face and have no need of Christ's resurrection power. Christ suffered physically in death, but in his life he also suffered. He suffered misunderstandings, constant harassment, false accusations, denial and betrayal by his closest friends, slander, abandonment by those closest to him, and several attempts on his life. So before his suffering on the cross, his whole life was made up of some form of suffering many times because of living among a people who didn't receive him and, and rejected him. So what does it look like to die to ourselves so we can experience Christ's resurrection power through suffering? A couple of years ago, a few years ago, uh, one night about 11 p.m., I was awoken by a young man who was staying with us. And uh, he told me, he walked past one of the windows in our sitting room and he looked out and we had a uh, motion sensor light. And the light had come on. He, had, he saw a neighbor in our backyard uh, with a bolt cutter in his hand trying to cut the cables that I used to secure our lawnmower and other things in our backyard. Uh, so he woke me up and said, I saw uh, this man in our backyard. And as I was waking up and, and getting to see what's happening, there was a ring at our doorbell, and I went to our door, our doorbell rang, and I went to the door, and it was the man he said he saw in our backyard. And this man, I had known him for some time. We had been, uh, we worked together. He had helped us work on our house. But that night, he was quite inebriated. He was, he was drunken, maybe even used some drugs. And, and uh, he just, he came up, and my the other friend was with me, the young man lived with us. And we said, what are you doing in our backyard? He said, oh, I was just, you know, checking on things, making sure things were secure back there. I said, why do you, you been in my backyard anyway? But he tried to make up a story, and he said, no, you, you had a bolt cutter. You were trying to steal from us. He said, no, no, I don't have a bolt cutter. I didn't have one. And so we talked that night. He said, he asked me for some money. I said, I can't give you any money tonight. I said, just go home. We'll meet in the morning. After he left, I walked in their backyard, and I found the bolt cutters they was using. So the next day, I went to his home. I confronted him. And by that time, he had sobered up, and he said, yes, I, I'm so sorry. He said, please don't go to the police with this because I, I have a record, and I could be in prison for a long time. I said, please, would you? Would you, would you not go? And I said, well, you need to come to my house and, 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 and confess to, to the, the other man. You, you said you, you lied last night. I said you didn't still need to confess. And we need to decide how we'll work through this. Uh, will you come later today? So he did. He came over. He confessed. You know, in my heart, as a sense of mind, I wanted to just say, you know, I'm, I don't want, need to be woken up at 11 o'clock at night by this craziness like this. I said, I just, let me just go to the police and, and let the police handle it. But, but I felt that God was saying he wanted to do more in this. He wanted to he wanted me to die to my wants and what I, my desire at that point is to, to, to trust God to work in this situation. Uh, and so we did. We, we, we invited him over. He, you know, he said, uh, he, he confessed. Uh, he asked for forgiveness. He said he knows he has a problem with, with drugs and alcohol. And, and he was trying to steal it to, to get a little bit of money. So he confessed it. So we, we accepted that. Uh, we told him that we had some things we wanted him to do to show his uh, repentant heart. He did those. And we began to work with him and realized, you know, God was working in his heart, even as we had a chance to work with him. And, you know, even though I didn't, I didn't appreciate his, his lying to me, his trying to steal from us, I still felt like God wanted me to trust him in the middle of this rather than just going and, and, and taking care of this on my own. And so the three, I had to die to what I wanted to let Christ live through me to see a transformation. And this man is pretty amazing. He, he's moved out from Jacksonville, lives in the, the northern part of the United States, and he's doing really well. God's worked in his life. And we had a chance to be a part of that. I could have just brought punishment on him. But I said, God wants me to trust him in this situation. And, 
And every, we have to make decisions those times. And what, what, what is, are we going to follow what we want? Or are we going to die to ourselves and, and let God work through us in these situations? A uh, pastor friend recently shared a, a story uh, where um, he, you know, one of his members called him and told him there was a U-Haul truck that was stuck in their church uh, on their church grounds. So the pastor got there and he met two young men who were in the truck. And as the pastor talked to him, he realized they told him they just need a place to sleep uh, the night before. And, and they were, they, and as a pastor, and they, they got into the, the grassy area after one of the hard rains we've had here recently, and they got stuck. And the pastor said, well, if I'd have known, I could have let you park in the parking lot and sleep there. Uh, and as he talked to me, he realized they were, they were homeless and looking for a place to stay and trying to move around with their belongings in the truck. And, and uh, the pastor felt comp compassion on them and said, hey, listen, when I get my paycheck, I really want to help you. And, uh, but his, his church members were saying, no, pastor, don't, don't, don't get involved with these people. You don't know what they're like. They could steal from us and, and take whatever we have here. The pastor said, but I believe God's brought them here for us to show Christ's love to them. And uh, one of the members said, well, pastor, you can share your gospel with them if you want, but don't trust them. They, 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 we don't know who they are. They could be thieves. And it was just like they, they, they just want to get rid of them. They didn't want to involve themselves, be involved in their lives, try to minister to them, try to offer the hope of Christ. So they just want to get rid of them, get, get them, get them out of their lives, get them off their church property. So it would be responsible for them. And the pastor was really saddened by that because he felt like, no, God brought them here. God, God led them to our church for a reason. I believe that. We have a chance to minister to them. But he, the church members didn't see that at all. They just saw the, the trouble they would bring. And how often do we see that in our lives? And others that come to it to our lives, do we see that they're just trouble? We don't, we don't want to die to ourselves. And what we want is just to <clears throat> get rid of them and move on in our lives. Do we not want to trust God to, to work in and through us in these situations and die to ourselves that he might live? Through us, and some of these things, you know, and I started the pastor. Maybe these guys would steal from them, but you know, what is important here? That God be glorified, and we reach out in love, or we protect the few things that we have here on earth. You know, what, what is what is God? What is, where is God most glorified in these in these situations? Uh, so I just I think about that many times myself. You know, if I suffer some loss for the sake of Christ, for the sake of getting a chance to share Christ's love with others. What's more important in those situations? But I, to do that, I have to die to myself and what I want so that Christ might live through me. And I ask myself, do I want that? Do I want that in my life? And then I think recently many of you know that uh, our brother Ant has had his accident about two weeks ago. Uh, and in the accident, he is, uh, uh, because of the accident, he's, he's paralyzed from, from the waist down. Uh, and that's been, you know, just to think of that, the, the, the life changes that's going to come into his life. And uh, I've been following him on, on Facebook as he puts out videos. Maybe many of you have as well. And just struck by Ed's uh, posture in the middle of this. And what happened, it seems, is when he shared is uh, one, I think two cars were trying to pass him and then get over to an exit lane. And they clipped his car, spun him around, and his car hit uh, one of the the railings on the road in such a hard manner that it uh, severed his, his his spinal cord, if I understand right, and he was left paralyzed from the waist down. And and uh, Aunt was sharing, and he, he began to, to 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 cry. He was so emotional, and uh, I just wrote what he said. It just impacted me so strongly as I watched Aunt, in a way, die to himself so he could live for Christ and see Christ in the middle of this. What's happening? And I want to read what he said. He said, I'm not crying because I'm upset. 
I want you guys to know I'm not angry at whoever caused the accident in no way, shape, or form. At the end of the day, it doesn't do any good to be angry at the cause of this. It's not going to help you. It's not going to make you stronger, Aunt said. He said, revenge doesn't do anything. People ask, why aren't you angry? He said, what am I going to do? Get to them, these people that caused this accident and paralyze them too? That doesn't do anything for me. What God has for them, God has for them. I'm going to continue to fight. I'm going to get better every day. I'm alive, and said. My wife could have lost her husband. My son could have lost his dad. My community could have lost someone who cares about them. As I read that, I saw Ant's heart. He wants to see God in this. He don't want to see what he wants out of it. Surely, it, it pains him to think of these, the people, their foolishness, and what they did to cause this accident. But he was like, I want to see God in this. I want to see God lifted up in the middle of this. A very powerful testimony. I'm just saying, what, what, if I got revenge, what, how would that benefit anybody to get revenge in this situation? It is what it is, and God will work in it. I just see Ant in a situation like this, dying to himself so that Christ may live through him. And I pray he continues to experience that as he continues to adjust to a new way of life. May he continue to see that Christ wants to live through him. So I ask us today, and from the examples I've given, and maybe you have examples from your life you can think of, and you know, uh, as, as Christ is calling you to know him and saying, you know, I invite you into a relationship with me. I have everything you need. I provide everything you need for a life of godliness. Do you want that? Do you want to know me? Do you want to know my, the power of my resurrection and the fellowship of my sufferings? That my, life, my name may be lifted up among others and that people can see Christ in you and in me. Do we want that? As a community of believers, do we want people to see Christ in us. If we do, then we have to pursue him and know him. As the psalmist said, we have to yearn for him. We have to thirst for him. Is that true of us? We want that in our lives. I pray it is. I pray it is for me that I would thirst and yearn for him. And I would want to know him. As Paul said, I want to know him. I'm willing to give up everything to know him. I pray that's true. I pray it's true for you. I pray it's true for me that we might make him known in our community and in our lives with one another. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you. Thank you for this time. Uh, that we've had to share together and the power of your word. I pray that each of us uh, would learn um, and we would grow in our desire to know you every day. We would be willing to give up more and more of our lives to know you. And whatever it call you call us to give up, we would give it up to know you because that is life-giving for us and we would know that. That is our life. So Father, just uh, open our eyes, lead us, to a deeper knowledge of you, that you might be lifted up in our lives, in our communities, in our church, that people can say, these are people who know God. Thank you. I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.